This is episode number 284. What is the next chapter of your life with Roseanne Sedoya? Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our upcoming weekly conversation that takes place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, hosted through LinkedIn Live and Facebook Live, where we explore the connection between one's personal narrative and the topics of grief, resilience, gratitude, appreciation, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please consider joining us on any given Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time or searching any of the previous conversations through our archive on YouTube by simply searching Overcoming Odds where you'll be able to find a complete directory of all the conversations that we've had to this particular point. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our work, and that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google, or supporting our cause by making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today. Now, let's get back to the show. Roseanne, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for having a conversation with me the other day. And I, I was very fortunate to have actually pronounced your name correctly. Yeah. Uh, off the bat, <laughs> I know that I'm not in the uh, same circle as you are, so to speak. My name gets butchered nine out of 10, sometimes probably 10 out of 10. And so I just kind of learned that, hey, this is the experience I'm going to have. And there's not much I can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. When I hear them start with the rose, I just, you know, in class, I used to just raise the hand. So because there weren't many of us, it's if so, any. It's so funny that you bring that up because I actually used to do the same exact thing. I have found that with substitute teachers, especially uh-huh. 10 out of 10, I never had a person that got it right. And I was able to kind of determined because they would read the roster the same exact way top to bottom every sure. class alphabetically so I, yep after a while I kind of sensed that okay I'm after Jacob and I noticed the person hesitate because they don't know <laughs> where to begin with the first name nor the last name and sure. I would literally just raise my hand and just tell them and the person will either try and pronounce it after me or they just move on to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I'm glad that I'm, I wasn't the only one that had this, this particular experience, but I'm glad that we're able to connect for a couple of different reasons. First is this topic of what is the next chapter and, and how do you know what the next chapter of your life is? How do you want it to look like? And ultimately, and then another question within that question is, how do you know when to close the previous chapter? I think it's a good good question to explore for a variety of reasons. A, is that there's still that focus on the personal narrative and the story that you want to create, which I know that you and I share. But the second part is, I found that in knowing when that transition happens, for me, it's been a really beautiful space because in the way it's kind of going back to the beginning. 
and, and not necessarily the beginning as far as abandoning previous experiences, but more so the beginning of a new chapter, which can then create some other direction that I may or may not have experienced before. And I think figured that the best way that maybe we can even start out this particular conversation is exploring the question at hand. And that is, how do you know when you are transitioning into a new chapter to begin with? Well, you know, I, I think my situation was a little bit different because it was something that was thrust upon me in a moment. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that happened over time where um, it was that it, number one, it happened midlife, um, halfway through my life at 45 and which I don't always admit, but that's mm -hmm. how old I was. And um, it was something that really just happened in an instant that uh, was just something so abnormal. So, um, you know, I will say in the beginning, I did fight to think that my life or that chapter was changing. I um, didn't want to change in the sense of being, um, you know, a, a success, successful professional female. And mm -hmm. um, I worked at the time at a, a, a development company, property management development company, where we owned, managed, and built retail, commercial, and what I oversaw was the residential piece of it. So we were in the process. We were in the the um, uh, in the process of building uh, multifamily developments. Uh, you know, apartment buildings that had anywhere from two hundred to three hundred units in these different buildings, and um, I oversaw the whole entire process of it from working with the development team, the architects to the processes, the, the processes, the procedures, um, hiring, uh, the, the marketing, the brand development, all of that mm -hmm. uh, when all of this happened. And you know, living in um, a nice apartment in the, the city of Boston in their uh, Italian section called the North End. So, you know, I, I was in a good place in life, financially, uh, professionally, and and individually. I <clears throat> I have a great group of friends and uh, was someone who loved life, traveled, did all kinds of fun things. Mm -hmm. And um, when this happened, uh, you know, it it changed it it changed my life dramatically. And I didn't want it to change initially, um, but over the course of 12 months from, from when it happened to where I am now, uh, you know, I realized that I needed to figure out what that chapter was going to be. So mm -hmm. it was a little bit different for me in regards to how I knew that the chapter was coming or coming to an end and a new one was beginning. Uh, and then COVID is another thing that just, I think has closed the door from 2014 to now. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen from 2021 or 2022 on. Mm -hmm. Can you create a little bit more context for those who are listening that may not be familiar with the it part in the first chapter? Sure. I yes. know I'm, I'm fully familiar <laughs> with the story, but for anyone else that's tuning in, what was that it and kind of paint a little bit of a picture, like what actually inspired you to, to do okay. the run to begin with? 
Well, a couple things. Um, first off, uh, I'm born and raised in Massachusetts, grew up about 25, 30 miles north of Boston. And, um, you know, in, in family life growing up, uh, you know, we would do different things and go into the city of Boston and enjoy the different parts of the city. And uh, one of the things that I really became uh, infatuated with or um, just mesmerized by was and still is, I guess, to this day, the Boston Marathon, mm -hmm. which happens every third Sunday, I'm sorry, every third Monday in April. It's here we call it Patriots Day or Marathon Monday. And, um, you know, it's been going on for over 120 plus years. Um, I have gone in as far as back as I can remember to watch. I've never run the race. Um, I've always been a bystander, but it's one of those things that when you're in on that particular day, you say to yourself, okay, maybe next year I'm going to run. Mm. Uh, maybe next year I'm going to run. Maybe next year I'm going to run. And I am not built like a runner. Um, I have over the course of time done plenty of 5Ks and um, several 10Ks. And I think the furthest I've ever run is, is um, nine miles. But uh, I've done the Falmouth, the Falmouth Road Race, which is a historical road race in the small town of Falmouth, Massachusetts, that's on Cape Cod. And, um, you know, it's just something that, you know, maybe one day I would talk myself mm -hmm. into running 26.2 miles at the Boston Marathon. But, um, and I can't remember when I've ever missed going into watching a marathon. I've actually almost gotten fired where I had started a new job and I was supposed to work that Patriots Day. And I kind of snuck out of the office and um, into, the <laughs> into the city to go watch the race. Like, it, it's just, it's an amazing day in Boston. There are, um, the race, the race itself has about 30,000 runners generally pre-COVID. Wow. Uh, yeah. And then the, the spectators line basically the route for 26.2 miles and probably draws in over 100,000 spectators into the city. I mean, people that are running, people who are coming to watch their friends and family run from all over the world. It's a very highly competitive race um and it's world renowned for its 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 course and its history so um for me though what it's always been is a day to get together with friends and enjoy the spring weather um you know in boston the weather through the winter is i'm not complaining because it's can be beautiful but it can be challenging too um i'm not a fan of snow and cold weather but i do live here i choose to live here and um it's April. It's the beginning of spring. It's the beginning of new life and trees are budding and flowers are blooming and birds are chirping. And you look forward to this day. And one of the other things I look forward to is I'm an avid uh, Bostonian sports fan. So generally the marathon and uh, the beginning of the baseball season and the Boston Red Sox start off. So quite frequently I go into the Red Sox game and then partway through the game, I have friends who are running so I will leave the, the, the baseball game and head over to a specific point um, towards the end of the race on Boylston Street, which is uh, where I would go is basically less than or within a quarter of a mile of the finish line. And, you know, most of the time I would have friends running, not all the time. But um, in 2013, I went to the baseball game. I got an automated alert update that my friend Jen was going to be approaching Boylston Street soon. So we made our way over towards the finish line 
so that she knew where to watch for us to kind of cheer her on that last part of the road race. And, um, and so April 15, 2013, doing everything I did, like I did years before, I went to that spot, Forum Restaurant, um, got the notification that Jen was going to be coming down and stepped out towards the fence that separated the runners and the spectators and probably out there for about 20 minutes or so. Uh, and the first explosion happened down towards my left, not knowing what it was, but kind of realizing that many times before I had been there and never heard celebratory cannons or knew all of the elite runners had come in hours ago, didn't know what it was. And, um, was there when the second explosion happened just a few feet behind me. Um, I had chosen to run instead of stand there and figure out what was going on. And when I did, and I turned to my right to take off from the, the fence, I basically ran right into the backpack that had the explosives in it. Um, mm. Saw the flashes of the white light and uh, that was basically it. Uh, blacked out for a second, fell to the ground, came to almost immediately and realized that something bad had happened, not just to me, but to the marathon itself. And, uh, you know, there was debris and things happening all around me that was definitely not normal. And initially, mentally, I think it, I felt like it was an attack personally, but realizing that it was much bigger than that. And um, I subsequently became an amputee on my right side, um, to my right leg below, uh, started out below the knee early on. And then the doctor had to kind of clean out and amend that amputation and became an above knee amputee on the right-hand side. So, um, April 15, two, two, oh my gosh, April 15, 2013, I, I guess became t known as one of the Boston marathon survivors and the amputee from, from that particular day. So, um, kind of crazy, but that is what closed the chapter of life for me or, you know, ended that particular chapter and, and has moved me on going forward to kind of figuring out how to pay back all the people that came into my life that day, pay it forward um, for all the people that taught me tricks and tools of the amputee trade and uh, kind of trying to help other people move forward with their challenges in life and basically letting people know that they have choices in life to move forward. And, um, life isn't always cut and dry and, mm -hmm. you know, that path you have chosen early on may not be the path that you end up going on, going forward on in life. So, um, Le yeah. Leading up to that moment, did you ever think that you could be a part of that particular event sometime throughout your life, not that same exact moment, but anything that was as traumatic as it was? No, I am a huge, huge baby. Um, so if anybody ever told me that I was going to have something like that happen to me, I would have said, if it does, I will curl up in a ball and die. And, um, uh, you know, you're challenged at times, and you, the way your brain works is really a mystery to me because at the time that I was put in that moment of trauma and basically choice of life or death, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, it did flash in my mind for a second, 
of that I didn't want to live if I was going to become an amputee or live disfigured, I guess. I didn't know exactly all of my injuries, but if I was going to live disfigured, I wouldn't want to live disfigured. And that went through my head. But what pushed that out was um, the thought of my family and my friends and the life that I had prior to that, knowing that it was good and that I wanted to continue living. And basically that's what took over. So no, I've passed out at, at the, the mention of getting an IV. When I was 18, I was getting my wisdom teeth out. And the doctor told me that he was going to give me um, some Valium, which I don't know anything about drugs really. So I thought it was <laughs> going to be, I thought it was going to be like pill form or something. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm like, well, when are you going to give me this Valium? Cause I hate stuff like this. And he said, oh, as soon as we put the IV in, I said, IV passed out, mm. literally woke up with oxygen and a cold compress on my forehead. So mm. I would have told you I would not have survived if something like that was going to happen to me. So no, <laughs> I, I always find it interesting how in different moments like that, different moments of hardship or traumatic experiences that you, you went through that I went through, as well as so many other people that tune into this show how there is there, I guess there are a couple of things that happen. A, there's some sort of change that is permanent that takes place from that point moving forward. And then there are things that I have found myself that took many, many years that I had to reframe shift perspectives around. I don't know what your experience was like, but I'll be really curious to hear how it was like to go into the crowd for the first time after an event like that. I mean, how many days did that take? to get comfortable in an experience like, I don't know, the Boston Garden or any of these big arenas going to see the Red Sox or the Bruins or any of the sports that you guys have, those are pretty significant crowds if you think about it. And and that's where I, it really just piques my interest as far as what were the permanent changes that either you had made or in the way that were maybe made for you after an experience like that? Um, these are such great questions. Honestly, these are questions that, uh, no one's really ever explored with me before. So, um, you know, I, I find them very interesting and, uh, uh, you know, happy to share and love to mm-hmm. share because it's something that, uh, again, you know, when you're living life and going through it and doing the things that I've done in the past, going to concerts and big, large events and, sporting events and, um, you know, in Boston, some, some champion celebratory parades, you know, Mm -hmm. and being part of the crowd. And that is something that, you know, I always would find myself doing. I'm a very social person. I love that type of atmosphere. And, uh, you know, since that time, the approach has definitely changed. Uh, and, it, it was something that I wasn't sure that I would find myself doing ever again uh, to the point that right in the beginning, I don't even remember. It must have been, um, you know, between all of the pain medication and stuff like that, some of it was a little hes- is, is hazy, but um, there were a bunch of musical artists that put on a concert for us called, I think it was like the One Fund concert or something like that. And um, I wasn't going to go. I was like, no, I don't want to go. And, you know, there were a bunch of people that were like my family and they're like, you don't want to go. And I was like, no, I didn't want to be in Boston garden. I didn't want to be 
um, in in an event like that, thinking that someone could blow the place Happen up. Again, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And and here I am at this point in time, had no prosthesis. I was on crutches, um, refused to use a wheelchair because that was, you know, something that I really didn't want to do because in a way it made me feel that it was permanently handicapped, which, you know, I think it was a denial thing or at least something that I needed to figure out as time went on and realize that, you know, yeah, it's a permanent scenario. So, um, you know, I did eventually give in and go, but it had to have certain, like I had to have certain people around me to make me feel comfortable. And ironically, those people that I had to have around me were my first responders that helped me that day, because I knew that if something happened, they had already been through it just recently and would know what to do to help take care of me. So um, I didn't want to go to this event without family, friends, and then these first responders. Um, So that was early on. And then the second time was I was fortunate enough to get tickets to a Boston Bruins game through one of the um, hockey players' wives uh, that had known that I lived in the North End. They, a lot of them live in the North End and she had gotten in contact with friends and had gotten me to um, go to the game. And I won't forget how I was basically crutched in with um, a few family members and um, again, my first responders, because I didn't want to go anywhere without the first responders and my um, occupational therapist from my rehab. And while they were going to get the tickets, I was waiting by one of the big um, columns that are in mm-hmm. the first floor of this building. And all of a sudden I was stricken with anxiety and panic and I never have had a panic attack before. And I started like shaking and I had to back myself up against this pole because the rush of people and just, you know, wonder, and like, I wasn't even in the, like I was in the building, but not in the um, arena area. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was like, oh my God, I'm an open target right now. Like this is, this is awful. And I went into a huge panic attack. Um, And I think part of realizing that it was a panic attack and understanding why I was having the panic attack, you know, was something that I could deal with. And then realizing that I had the people with me to help me get through it and eventually went to the seat and, and enjoyed the game and had a great time. Um, you know, it was eye opening. It was realistic that mm-hmm. life had changed. Um, so I think over the course of time, knowing that again, had a good life, wanted to continue to have that good life that I would have to figure out how to make these adjustments. And um, I think a lot of it too, is part of my upbringing and my personality that I'm always a realist and realize that you know, I'm the only one that can change the way I feel. I'm the only one that can make these particular choices of, do I ever want to go to an event like this? Or do I want to always deny and miss these opportunities? And, you know, I told myself, okay, you know, not all large events are open forum. So Mm -hmm. I told myself, I will not go to another celebratory parade or something that's open ear that there's no way to control the crowd in that particular sense. Um, But I, you know, will go to indoor 
situations, I'll go to see a Red Sox game because I know of the precautionary measures that they've taken to go into a game or mm-hmm. to a Patriots football game. Those I will definitely do. Uh, I have found myself going back to the marathon basically from year one. Uh, the next one that happened in 2014, I did it in a different way though, of, um, being inside behind a glass, watching the runners, not being in the atmosphere, which was a different atmosphere from what I had experienced. So I don't think I missed it. And then slowly 15, 16, 17, slowly worked my way back into the crowd. And I do know that they have different measures for that type of outdoor activity. And I will only go to where I can be indoors most of the time. Mm -hmm. If I know someone's coming, step out, see them and go back inside. So I've definitely made changes to my life, but I, and they do impact me a little bit, but not completely. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, over the course of time, I've learned how to do that. And it, it takes time. It takes years. It takes sometime a cocktail or two, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I don't, I have FOMO. I don't want to miss out on anything. And so mm-hmm. um, if I can get myself into those activities somehow, some way, then I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. figure it out. How long do you think it took you to share the excitement of the crowd at any of the events that you were a part of? To go back and fully share that mm-hmm. and enjoy it? Yeah, to really enjoy it. And to because I feel like this, once again, this is just me projecting meaning onto your experience because I sure. haven't experienced what you've experienced, but I could only imagine going back into a crowd and, and just feeling the tension, the anxiety of, is this going to happen again? Or, or am I too close to the person who has the, you know, the weapon or whatever it is like, because I, I've noticed myself and not having lived through what you have, I sometimes have that as a conscious thought. I know sometimes oh. when I'll go to uh, Michigan games here at the big yep. house in Ann Arbor, I mean, that's 110, 120,000 people packed into a house. And I know that they, they have their procedures and they check the purses, they check the bags, mm-hmm. but if there's anything you just don't ever know. Is that you don't know, some people find creative ways to sneak yep. in whatever. And that was a big thing that I've learned throughout my own experience is that a, you just, you don't know what you don't know. That's just a fact of life. And, but in your case, having experienced that yourself, what was, what was that even journey? Like, I mean, could you even say that you were excited for the first time or was it really oh. just terrified for life and then portraying like you're excited? So that way you don't look like the, uh, you know, I think, I think it's, I think it's mind over matter. Mm-hmm. Um, am I always conscious of something? Yes. Um, I'm not sure if I'll ever reach the pre-bombing excitement that I had prior, mm-hmm. but it, it gets up there, you know, and I don't know, like, you know, the Boston Marathon was probably my favorite day in the city, you know, out of all of the holidays over 4th of July, if it had happened 4th of July, I wouldn't have been there. I, for years, had a tradition of going to Nantucket with my friends, which is an island off the coast of Massachusetts. And, you know, um, it was a tradition. And so if it happened 4th of July, which is something that the bombers had talked about doing, um, I would never have been injured. I would never have been hurt. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever 
get that excitement back that I had for that particular day. Um, but I, you know, it's mind over matter. I tend to be conscious of those around me. Um, and I guess I live in the fact that generally 99% of the time lightning mm -hmm. doesn't strike twice. So I'm hoping that a bomb doesn't strike yeah. twice for me. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, that's how I have to look at it. And I, again, I, I think it's choices and um, maybe it's the fact of, you know, um, I like life. I enjoy it. I love the people that are in my life. I like, you know, people who I meet and chat and talk to. And um, so I, I don't think the level will ever be where it was, mm -hmm. but it just takes time. And I, and, and maybe someday it will be, maybe I haven't built up that trust in life and in, in the general public that it's going to come back to it a hundred percent. But, um, you know, I try to live in the moment. Prior to this happening, do you feel like you had a sense of purpose in life? No, not like I do now. No, no. Uh, Why do you think hardship creates that or creates an opportunity for that? Because I think it connects you with the people that are going through the hardship prior to you. Mm -hmm. um, in my life, I only knew one amputee, sort of. Um, it was someone that I knew in college. He wasn't even an amputee in college. It happened after college. And I hadn't really seen him maybe about once mm -hmm. since his amputation. And it wasn't somebody that I had kept in touch with. Um, so, you know, I never really, I guess you don't understand what someone's going through until you live it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think at that point in time, I was able to connect on that level of people that have these types of disabilities, number one. And number two, uh, the amount of outpouring of help and love and support that came from all over the world was just so like shattering to me to understand and comprehend that I think that um, it was just a good perspective for me to realize that there needs to be more people out there to bring awareness to being an amputee, mm -hmm. um, to being more specifically a female amputee out there. And, you know, cause there's not many of us, the majority are, are male from all the different situations that have happened overseas at, in, in war and war. yeah. And, um, you know, I think that, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was just meant to, I, I, I since it happened, I've always felt that it was meant to happen to me. I don't know why. Um, and I don't know what this journey is going to bring. Um, it's different from day to day. Uh, but I think ironically, it, it was meant to happen for some weird reason to me. And one thing I have found, because in the beginning, I would always say, you know, obviously, obviously something happens for a reason. And I've come across some of the survivors from that day who don't believe in that saying and don't really like it. Um, so, you know, it's, I've given some really good thought to that. And my thought is that it, 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 it happened. Um, and there's a path that I'm supposed to follow. I don't know why or who or how that path is supposed to go, but I'm supposed to take this path as far as I can till it ends. 
And um, I feel like that path is supposed to be helping people, whether it's doing presentations or, um, you know, meeting with different groups or Mm -hmm. just on a day-to-day scenario, coming across an amputee out of store and sharing my story about what happened. And, um, you know, because my situation was such a public event and people came out of the woodwork to help us, veterans, other amputees that were born with with this disability or, you know, some traumatic situation has brought them to me and have shared their circumstances and the way that they've moved forward. And I've been fortunate enough to share that with other people that haven't had such a public event scenario and hopefully help them get to where they are, where they're going to go and, and move forward in their lives. And, um, you know, there's no amputee for dummies book out there and there's no Mm -hmm. guideline to say, okay, this is what you do after you get out of the hospital. And if you, you know, if you're in rehab, these are the steps that you should take or the choices Mm -hmm. you should make, or the people you should get to know, or how to go from, you know, finding a prosthetist. I didn't even know how to say the word prosthetist. You know, most people can't even pronounce it the first time (laughs) that they need to, you know, a lot of them accidentally say prostitute, you know, like it's, (laughs) it's just not easy on the tongue. Different experience. it's such a, yeah. And so to really kind of help guide people, like I was guided people that aren't going to have this experience where people come out of the woodwork to help you and, and then form these amazing relationships that I've formed, um, and not even having to meet people. I mean, uh, because my story was unique and telling it over and over and over and over again, people were like, you should write a book. And that's what I did with three of my first responders from that day. And at the end of it, you know, it tells the story of what, what we experienced, but also how we came together. But at the end of it, I have like a, um, a section of like suggestions and advice and links and, you know, how to reach me like to, you know, you might not ever meet me. You might not live in the Boston area. We may not cross paths in certain travels or presentations or whatever it may be, but you can reach out to me if you have questions. And, um, you know, uh, I just want to pay it forward. And I think this is what I'm meant to do somehow, some way. I don't know. Mm -hmm. How can people connect with you? Um, Well, my name isn't the easiest to pronounce <laughs> or spell, um, but they're more than um, welcome to like Google Boston Marathon Survivor. Um, they'll find several of us, but they can find me at Roseanne at robostrong.com, which um, it's funny because uh, my name is spelled R-O-S-E-A-N-N. And then RoboStrong just came out of one of the fundraisers that one of my friends had um, uh held for me because everybody was saying, you know, we're Boston strong. The survivors are Boston strong. And she had balloons made that said strong on it. And the R O were highlighted, which a lot of my friends call me row for Roseanne mm-hmm. and then Boston strong. So, um, uh, robo strong became it. So R O for Roseanne and then B O for Boston strong, which kind of has become my branding at this point, just a weird way of it all, how it happened. But um, 
they can, you know, find my website and find some information out there. And my email is out there. So um, I'm, I'm kind of out there. <laughs> There's no way to hide me at this point in time. And I don't mind it in the sense, if I'm going to help one person, then it makes me feel good and makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.